Quick question. Can your supervisors communicate, solve conflicts, lead with confidence? Anyone promoted from operations to management will tell you that the soft skills are the hard skills. That's why we created a program for technically minded folks to learn the right tools for today's leadership challenges. Tools like reading employee emotions, setting workplace goals, and communicating with a diverse workforce. Hungry for more? Get the details at shiftworkplace.co slash supervisory leadership training. That's shiftworkplace.co slash supervisory leadership training. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. Today, I am really happy to bring to you Tim Dumas, who is the dream coach at Service Leadership Executive Coaching, the founder of Service Leadership, where his purpose is to champion the world to dream audaciously, serve generously, and grow magnanimously. Tim is a certified coach with the John Maxwell team, a certified facilitator with the Extreme Leadership Institute, and a consultant with the Virtuous Leadership Institute. When Tim is not coaching executives, he can be found coaching youth soccer and football in Sawasin, BC, where he resides with his wife, Stephanie, and their six children. And he is an established business owner in a fourth-generation family business called Jack's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. It has 12 locations throughout British Columbia in Canada. So it's a very interesting combination of being part of a fourth-generation family business and developing a coaching business as well, and then lots of volunteering, it looks like, having to do with sports. So that's great. I'm really happy to have you today, Tim. I'm excited to be here, Marie. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. So can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do from your own perspective? Sure. Yeah. And you had mentioned how, you know, being a business owner and also having a coaching company, you don't often hear that. And really how it came about was we're a fourth generation family business at Jacksburg Wine and Spirits. And about six years ago, we brought in an executive coach because we were on a precipice, a cusp really of, you know, were we going to continue to grow or are we just going to, you know, fade out into oblivion? And we brought in this coach and it changed the direction of our company, changed our culture and definitely for the better. And I said to our our executive coach one day, I said, this is great, but we have about 140 employees. How can we get this message to everybody? And he said, Tim, you're already doing it. You just have to do it better. And I didn't know what that meant. And he said, Tim, you got 24 hours. Call me back tomorrow and tell me what you're going to do about it. I said, 24 hours? How can I do this in 24 hours? He said, Tim, if I gave you a week, you'd wait till 24 hours before the end of your week anyway. So 24 hours later, I call him back and I said, coach, I need to become a certified coach just like you so that we can take this to our whole organization. So literally like two months later, I'm on a flight to Florida to get certified by John Maxwell, the number one coaching guru in the world. And we came back and we implemented these priorities in implementing a coaching culture. And then I realized that other people were asking me to do it. So to make a long story short, we're now six years later and I have a coaching company as well. I, I coach peer group forums with the KCO forums. And I do other speaking engagements. And that's how you have the weird, crazy cocktail of my life. I really like the way you put all of that together. And it shows that when the leader grows, the company grows. And I just had a conversation with an HR forum where people were complaining about the disconnect between the leadership and the front line. And it occurred to me while people were talking that the reason there's that disconnect is because the people at the top are disconnected from themselves. 
Certainly. And it's so easy to become disconnected as you grow in an organization. You know, it's something that I have to keep in mind on a day in and day out basis. And I was lucky enough. And look, I don't do it perfectly all the time, but if we keep the self-awareness of that, that keeps it on the cusp of ensuring that we continually are on the front lines with our people and working with our people. So this occurred just a few months ago. I got to meet uh, someone new to the company and it was just at Jack's Beer and Wine Spirits, just a big order came in, multiple pallets of beer, wine, and spirits. And so I hopped on the floor with this person and said, hey, you're new to the company. Why don't I hop on the floor with you and we'll put away the order together? So we did that. And he didn't say it to me, but afterwards he went up to the manager. He said, who is this guy? I've never had a leader come up and just say, hey, how can I help? How can we support? And so that's one of the things that I try to do. And it's a day in and day out process where the greatest leadership question that I know of is asking our people on a day in and day out basis, how can I support you to be the best version of yourself, both personally and professionally? Wow. I just want to take that piece out of the recording and send it to a whole bunch of people I know who are the CEOs of companies. (laughs) So let me go to the next question. Can you share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you believe made you into the person you are today? So I was really thinking about this and it went back to thinking about my grandfather and I don't know about you, but I have vivid memories of, you know, playing ball with my parents and grandparents or just playing with them. And, you know, I have a vivid memory of just playing around. And as a child, probably still to today, I was obsessed with sports and especially football. That was my favorite sport. My life really revolved around when was the next game of our pro team so I could watch that. When was my next practice, my next game? I just loved the spirit of competition and I loved the game. And my grandfather, he helped give me that love because he was uh, the team doctor for the BC Lions, our professional team in Vancouver. And I fell in love with football, went on TV one day, I saw him run onto the field to take care of my favorite player who had gotten injured. And so since that day, I've fallen in love with the game of football. And he took me inside one day and he said, Tim, he goes, never forget what's most important in life. He said, you know, I helped give you the love of football, the love of sports, the love of other things, but never forget there are three F's in your life and never forget the importance of them. There's your faith, there's your family, and there's football and they all go in that order. And he said, I'll encourage you to never forget the order of your life and to use football for the great thing that it is, but never forget the importance of both your faith and your family. That's really a great way of setting priorities and helping you to think about priorities in your life. How old were you when that happened? I would have been probably about 10 or 12. Yeah, that's the age where people start to really remember those incidents in detail. I was thinking you were going to say that you were impressed that he was able to care for the injured player, but it wasn't the caring for the player and the medical profession that attracted you. It was the sport itself and that he was able to support that sport. It was, yes, absolutely. He would have loved if I would have become a doctor like him. He used to ask me about that all the time. And I'd like to think hopefully that I'm still caring about people as much as he did. At that time, he delivered many babies. and I can't remember how many he did, but it was hundreds. And he was so proud of the fact that he supported families in the birth of their child. And I hope in some small way than what I do as a business owner and coach, that I can support people and their families in some small way and in a similar way to what he did. No, you're helping people give birth to the next level of their business. Any other incidents that you can recall? As I got older, this isn't necessary for my childhood, but here's an incident that profoundly changed me. Fortunately or unfortunately, many people don't necessarily have to deal with tragedy, but at some point in our life, we probably deal with some type of tragedy. And in 2013, I was managing a business that burnt down. And that completely changed the way I operated and how I cared for people. Uh, in the middle of the night, I get a call from the fire department at home. And you never really want to you know, get that call at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. 
And they said, hey, uh, are you a uh, the manager here? And I said, yes. They said, uh, your business is burning down. And I was half asleep. And I said, well, you mean like there's a bushfire in the, in the brush behind? They're like, no, no, no. It's burning to the ground. So I hop in the car and half asleep still. And I drive there. And I witnessed the, the business that I cared for for a number of years burning to the ground. And I had to make a decision really quickly that day what I was going to do. And I realized within 24 hours, my job was no longer to take care of the business. My job was now to take care of the people and to help get them jobs. So the following day, 24 hours later, we had a breakfast meeting with all of our staff and asked them to bring me their resumes. And I would walk around town and hand them out, call people, email people. And it was my my job to help them find a job because we were going to be closed for a great period of time. And that really never left me because that was my job all along. And I might not have really realized it. It was my job to help those people to become the best version of themselves in, in whatever they would be. And as fate would have it, about five years later, I had another business. One of our Jack's locations burned to the ground as well. And I knew exactly what to do in that time. We had already been supporting our people. And within days, we were moving them to other Jack's businesses or to other businesses to support them. And that will never leave me in what I did then and what I do on a daily basis now. That really gave you an emergency preparedness background that you might not have had otherwise. Certainly. Yeah. I would never really have known to do that unless I lived through it. You can read all the books, but when you go through something and you really see what worked and what didn't, and, and there were you know many things I did that I would do differently now, but you really focus on what it takes to get through crisis. And we're just going through another crisis now with COVID. We're, we're over a year in now, right? But those certainly prepared me for the tenacity it would take and the love it would take to grow through this crisis as well. Hmm. How's it been different? Because it seems to me that alcohol businesses would do very well in a pandemic. Business, certainly. However, business is about people, remember, right? So if we look at the debits and credits, the debits and credits are doing fine in our business, but that doesn't change our people, right? Our people are people with children, with significant others, with friends. They have the same fears that everybody else does in life, and they bring that to work. You know, what many people don't understand in the workplace is that we bring our whole selves to work. Whether we like it or not, that's what human beings do. If, if I'm struggling at home, that's going to weigh upon me in the workplace and vice versa. And they will for sure. And I think what you said is exactly, and that's your orientation right from the get-go when you were speaking about bringing your whole self into what you're doing. I have heard you know, of people getting really nasty when they come into liquor stores during the pandemic uh, in ways that they weren't before. I imagine your staff has had to deal with that in addition to their own struggles at home. So that would have certainly been, I'm just guessing. We're all dealing with something in a different way during the pandemic. But also, you know, on top of that, we're dealing with those people in the workplace. Anybody who's dealing in customer service right now in grocery stores, in liquor stores, in other retail locations, they're dealing with people that have a, a heightened sense of fear, anxiety, right? And anytime that happens, that's going to cause conflict and difficulties. Mm -hmm. So our people are dealing with that on a daily basis. So it's my job to support in how to best deal with that and how to best take care of our people so that they can take care of our guests as well. Well, your employees must feel very fortunate to be working for your company. I sure hope so. We're, we're certainly not perfect, but the thing we can always promise is both with our guests and with our, uh, we call them service champions, our employees. I'll say, you know what? 
I can never guarantee you perfection, but what I can guarantee you is that we will love you and we will work as hard as we can to do the best that we can. And if there's ever a moment of misery, we will do our best to try to make that a moment of magic. And if anyone promises perfection, that's not possible. But promising love is something I think far greater. Mm-hmm. Well, perfection is an illusion anyway. And just when you think you've reached the summit of something, you see that there's more. So there are degrees of perfection. <laughs> I don't think it's a one-stop shop. So I wanted to ask you about groups that you've been born into. I mean, you're born into a culture, you're born into a region, into a province, into a country. You have a race, you have a social class, you have a family background, you have a faith background. Which of those things stand out as having really influenced you strongly? So I think I would go back to those three Fs that my grandfather talked about and highlight two of them, right? Certainly, um, you know, my faith community and my family are are intertwined and and also the football community. That is something that's shaped who I am. So first of all, faith, I was born into a Catholic family and we would go to church every Sunday. We would pray together and it brought us closer as a group. And I've continued that with my children and, and my family as well. But really what that brings is a sense of something greater than ourselves. Uh, a mentor of mine now, Steve Farber, who wrote a great book called Love is Just Damn Good Business. He talks about the greater than yourself project. And that's not necessarily a religious thing, but in most religions, they talk about something that's greater than yourself. How can you contribute to the greater good? And when I named my company, I named it Service Leadership, which is the word servant in Latin, servant leadership. It's my goal to serve the people around me in the best way that I possibly can. And that was really rooted in my faith, but really that is intergenerational and across all kinds of faith and non-faith denominations, number one. And then number two, certainly my involvement in football. When I played my last high school game, game. We lost in the playoffs. You can imagine I'm a 17-year-old kid whose life revolved around football. I'm sitting there, tears going down my face, realizing I'd never play in high school again. And my coach came up to me and he looked me in the eye and they all called me Timmy. He said, Timmy, never forget this. There's one day that you will leave the game, but the game will never leave you. And I had no idea what he meant at that time. But really what he meant was the spirit of teamwork, the spirit of trust, the spirit of work ethic that we had grown together as a team at that time would serve me for the rest of my life. If people around me long enough know that if I tell stories or anecdotes, they all often surround my sports and and football. That's what I know. And that helped me to become the person I am today. Hmm. I think that many resilient stories come from coach stories. And when youth are growing up, if they are fortunate enough to belong to a team where the coach was inspiring a great role model and was able to mentor them, it's a lifelong influence, don't you think? That's the whole point, right? I coach young kids right now, my sons who are 12 and 14. And that's the whole point of it, right? You know, I'm certainly coaching them to hope to make it to the pros, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, you know, when I'm coaching boys to create great men, great community members, future business owners, employees, husbands, fathers, and the same thing with the girls that I coach in soccer, future wives, mothers, business leaders, business owners, community members, political figures, whatever that is, that's really what we're doing. That's the sense of community that we're growing as people. Because the one thing that I learned from my coaches is their sacrifice. Generally, they never got paid and they spent hours and hours every week because they love what they did and they love the kids that they coached and they knew 
they were working on that greater than themselves project. And really, when I coach people, I often ask people, if you could write the 12 words that are going to be on your tombstone, what would you write? And those coaches had it figured out. That's what they wanted to write. They've touched so many young lives for the better. And that's certainly what I hope to do both in the business world and in the community. I really love the way you play their lives forward into how can you be the best in any aspect of your life that you can be? And how can I assist you with that journey? Imagine the world if everybody did that. What a beautiful place it would be to live. How supported our children and youth would be. It's wonderful. It's very inspiring. Well, how one does anything is how one does everything, right? Yeah. And the work ethic we learn in team sports, there's many other ways that we can learn that work ethic too. But I was just coaching a young man the other day, a great athlete, a great kid, and a super hard worker. And there was a drill we were doing that got pretty hard. At the end of the drill, he gave up. He kind of just you know walked it in. And I said, what are you going to do when it gets hard? When you're a business owner, when you're a father, when you're, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? The whole point of what we're doing here is to train each other. So we'll never give up on each other. We will run out that drill until the very end, just like in our relationships in our future life, we will work as hard as we possibly can to the very end for the success of the rest of our team the people in our relationship. So the team orientation is just so necessary, especially in the individualistic society in which we live right now, where we need to think and be reminded consistently that we're standing on the shoulders of giants and that we can't really accomplish anything alone. We always require a team. I wanted to ask you about groups that you chose to belong to as you grew up. You chose different groups. You chose educational groups, professional groups, you networking groups, probably other things that, that interested you. What were some of those that influenced your development of personality for who you are? Well, certainly two of the business groups I'm involved with today have developed me. And the first is my role in Jackspear Wine and Spirits. And, and the second is my role as a forum chair in McCaseo Forums. So when I joined Jax, I'll never forget the day. And it is a family business. And so I joined with my uncle and my cousins. But I didn't just fall into it. I did work in the business as a young person as well, but I had a choice to make. And I had a choice to leave the career that I was in at the time or the job that I was in and to make the leap to become a partner in Jack's. And I'll never forget sitting down with my uncle and him saying, Tim, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you here. And I think it can be a great opportunity for you. But here's the challenge. To come right now, you're going to have to take a severe pay cut. And I can't promise you that's going to change anytime soon. But there is one thing I can promise you, really two things, really. I can promise that we support each other in this company so much that you will have people that love and care about you, both in your business partners and both in the whole company. That's how we run our company. And we will work towards professionally developing each other to get to that point. So I can't make any promises about what your finances or what your career will look like but I can promise you support. And that never left me. And that's why that was one of the uh, most difficult decisions at the time, as you can imagine, but one of the greatest decisions of my life. Yeah, certainly formative. Certainly. It really reinforced what my goals in the business world were. And it really allowed me and gave me the poetic license to take that support and really take it to the rest of the people in our company. Mm-hmm. The second organization, as you asked about, was KCO Forums. And I joined as a, as a chair two years ago. And Nancy McKay, the founder, is, is one of the greatest leaders that I've ever met. And I first met her. I joined on as a forum chair. And um, I hadn't met her 
personally and I've been on the phone and on Zoom uh, for about a month after I'd signed on. And it was a breakfast event she was hosting. So I made sure to get there early so I could meet her and, and make you know make sure I wasn't late. So I was one of the first there and sought her out. I said, Nancy, it's, it's such a pleasure to meet you. We've spoken on the phone many times. I stuck out my hand and she said, Tim, what you'll learn about McKay Forums is that we don't shake hands all that much, but we hug. This is this tough business leader, the first time I've ever met her, giving me this bear hug. And that's not usual. That's That was unusual. But what I found out about her was she is unusual. She uses the word love in the workplace in an unusual way. You, you don't often see that. And she also lives love in a way that you don't often see. Because often we think of love as you know sometimes doing what the other person would like us to do. She does the difficult things. She said, Tim, love is about supporting somebody all the time. But it's also about having the difficult conversations to help them grow. Just like a child. If a child's gonna, you know, is walking towards your hot oven, you're gonna whisk them away, maybe even push them away because you don't want them to burn their hand. But as we grow older, especially in the workplace, we have so much trouble having those tough conversations of pushing that child away from burning their hand. And that's what I've learned from Nancy McCabe about love. Mm-hmm. She sounds like quite the amazing woman. So let me uh, ask you about temperament and personality, temperament being what you're born with. And people would just say, yeah, that's Tim. He's been like that since he was little. And then personality is obstacles you had to overcome, opportunities you chose to take or not take, and how that's formed you. Certainly. Well, I think my temperament is I'm almost a 50-50 choleric and sanguine. I'm a little more choleric than I am sanguine. As a choleric, my temperament is energetic, has enthusiasm, and I'm more apt to act quickly rather than to really think. And as a sanguine, I see the world from a personal lens. I always think about people. So and when we talk about temperament and personality, I've had to overcome, and I still to this day try to overcome some of the negative attributes of my temperament. Certainly as a sanguine, seeing things from a personal lens, as I spoke with Nancy McKay about that true love piece, I want to please people as a sanguine. It's my goal that, you know, I really would like to be liked by everyone. And that sometimes hurts me when I need to make difficult decisions because I'll take into account, you know, the 10 or 15 people this impacts. And I'll think, oh no, there's one or two people this could negatively impact. Mm-hmm. And I Tim, really Tim, need to Tim, can I interrupt you just briefly on this? Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because you're talking about personality inventory, mm-hmm. which people may not be familiar with. So can you maybe reference that? So when you say that, you know, sanguine or cleric, can you just explain the name of that personality inventory that you're referring to? Yeah, certainly. That's called the temperament profile. And there are four temperaments. Many people know DISC and there's other um, profiles such as this. The one I'm talking about is just simply the temperament profile. There's the four temperaments. The most uh, ancient one, the one invented by the Greeks, in fact. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And basically the four temperaments simply put, are choleric, which is action-oriented, sanguine, which is people-oriented, and that's my mix. And then there's the melancholic, the third one, which is idea-oriented, takes a lot of time to make their decisions, but really thinks hard about things. And then there's phlegmatic that are just the peacemakers. Their goal in life is to just have peace. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So you were saying that you've been working to overcome what you feel is the uh, overcommitment to pleasing people and then wanting to make sure that everybody's happy with every decision you make. And that's where I interrupted you. Would you like to continue from there? Certainly. So there's really two things in my temperament that I'm working to overcome in my personality. And it's really a daily action. And it probably will be most of my life. As a cleric, it's really to think about decisions because my initial temperament is just to act, to get things done, to knock things off my plate rather than to think about them in a more creative 
creative and meaningful way. And so one thing that I'm focused on right now is to take time every day in silence and just to think, because I would often struggle with, I'll fill my calendar all day with meetings and with getting things done, but I won't actually think. And if you can imagine the struggles that will put on myself, my career, my personal relationships, if you never actually stop to think. So one of my goals in life I haven't mastered yet is to each day have 30 minutes of silence to think and just to understand what I need to do before I actually do it. Mm -hmm. It's the morning routine of all the most successful CEOs in the world. 30 to 60 minutes of silence in the morning. And for those that do it, when you started, I would assume it's a lot harder than one might think, you know, in my action of doing it, you know, I look at my watch and I'm like, oh, that must've been about 20 minutes. And it's like 20 seconds, right? And it's amazing what comes into your mind when, you know, you don't have the radio on, you're not checking your email, you're just thinking. All of a sudden, I think about things that I could have been doing or should have been doing. Some good and some bad, right? All of a sudden, I think, oh boy, uh, this 30 minutes, I might need to go to the washroom before the 30 minutes is up. Oh, I, I really could use a coffee. Oh, I, you know, I'm hungry. Um, I need to stretch. Oh, I need to go. Like all these things that come into your head. But those are all thoughts, some good and some that need to be suppressed that I'm just pushing away all day. Yeah. A lot of times when people talk about the time of silence, they aren't referring to doing nothing and just letting your distracted thoughts come in and out of your mind. They usually have some strategies, some questions, some inspirational quotes, some practices that help them to focus until they reach a point of flow. So uh, yeah, we have to talk about that on some other podcast. But for now, let's get back to the um, questions I wanted to ask you, which is about a time when you became aware that what you understand about the world was specific to you and your culture and not just normal. Well, I think I best understood this at Jacksburg Wine and Spirits. And we have two regional managers and they both report to me and they're both outstanding. But there's one of them that would often challenge the assertions that I had and would ask questions. And initially I thought, oh, wow, why is this person doing that? And what I realized was in a lot of ways, this person was different for me and opposite for me. However, it was in such an outstanding way that they would ask questions and challenge things that I'd never really thought about because in my temper, my personality, I had just done these things these ways all the time. And this person challenged me to grow in some amazing ways. So the greatest thing we can do in our business lives or in our personal lives for that matter is surround ourselves with people that think differently because when we do that brings us to a greater sense of awareness and really becomes greater people. They talk about in personal relationships and spouses, often the opposites attract, right? And the real purpose of that, I'm sure, is that when you have two opposite people, they bring two opposite things to the table that make a great partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because diversity is necessary. Diversity of everything around us is what allows the whole to exist. And so if we surround ourselves with people who think, look, act, and do things exactly the same as us, we have all eventually stagnate. When we look at hiring people for a great organization, we're looking to hire people that are differentiators, that, we, that differentiate our company, that give different perspectives, right? If I fell into the trap of hiring all people like me, what's the point? If they think like me, we don't have any new perspectives. We're not going to grow at all, right? Right. But, and you might miss some important things that would be gaps. But if you're hiring yeah. people that are not like you, then those gaps can be addressed by the people that see them. Certainly. And there's two keys to that. Number one is hiring those people in an organization. But Number two 
is empowering them to feel comfortable enough to challenge the status quo. And I'm really lucky that this person felt comfortable enough, hopefully in part because I empowered this person too, but also in part because they had the inner moxie to know that if we're going to get better, we have to ask great questions. You know, John Maxwell has a book called Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. And that's a big key that often we forget is asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. So just a few more questions to ask you about. So what's the best way for people to work with you? What brings out the best in you, in Tim Dumas? Sure. There's really three great ways that I can do this and three things that I do. Number one is one-on-one coaching. Number two is in a peer group with McKay CEO forums. And number three is in a seminar or speaking engagement with their company organization or conference. I absolutely love getting to connect with people through speaking and through one-on-one coaching as well. And what I realized in having a one-on-one coach myself over the last number of years is that when we get to a certain position in our career, often people don't think about having a personal coach, but an athlete would never say that. You know, Michael Jordan never said, I already won a few championships. We'll get rid of our coach. I don't need that person anymore. That's ridiculous. But in the business world, in the organization world, in our culture, we don't keep that same mindset. So what I love to do is work with people to ask the great questions to help bring them to the greatest version of their personal success, hold them accountable to that, achieve that, and be able to write on their tombstone those 12 words they wrote today, and that somebody else will say those exact words about them mm-hmm. on the last day of their life. That's the answer to the next question I was going to ask. What brings out the best in you, not you bringing out the best in them and the ways they can engage with you? So what do you need in order for people to be able to work with you? You mentioned one thing already, which is you need someone to ask you good questions. Certainly. There's that. And really, it's a growth mindset. Somebody asked the same question to in joining our McKay group and in peer group coaching. And this person said, well, do I really have the experience that other people in the group will want to have? And I said, eh, you know what? That is important, but I don't know if that's all that important. Do you know what is important? That you have the inner hunger in you to grow and to be that person. For example, Nancy McKay, who I already spoke about, the founder of McKay Forums. When I first joined McKay, she said, Tim, I'm so excited to have you here because you're going to be an amazing coach. You're going to do amazing things with McKay. I am so excited. I can see it already. I looked back at her and I almost said, how do you know? You barely know me. How could you even know this? And still to this day, she won't tell me whether she actually knew it or not. But what I do think she knew is if she built me up, she knew I had the personality that I would work as hard as I could to prove her right. You need people to encourage you to be at your best. I'm answering your question for you since you've avoided it twice. Thank you for bringing the best out of me, Marie. <laughs> so is there anything else that you'd like to say? We will put all your information into the show notes so people can get a hold of you. But what would you like to leave the audience with today? I'll leave the audience with, I believe, a word we talked about in my mantra. It's to dream audaciously, to serve generously, and to grow magnanimously. And that word magnanimity is a word that most people have never heard of. And I know you and I were talking before that I'm only the third person, I think, that has ever used that word with you. And I've always looked for the greatest definition of leadership. And it wasn't until I met Alex Savard, who wrote a book on magnanimity, he said, Tim, leadership can be simply defined as magnanimity. And I had to look at him. I said, Alex, can you tell me what that is? He said, simple. It's the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. It's a spirit of generosity that is as large as the creator. And if there's one thing I could leave with people, that's a great way to put it, Marie. It is that. And so if you're looking to surround yourself 
with magnanimous people, I would absolutely love to connect with you. Hmm. That is a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you spending the time with the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast today, Tim. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, Marie. Thank you. Tim Dumas is a motivated, energetic, and competitive guy who has lived his life purposefully and with intent. His business success and attitude towards continuous learning have earned him an enviable position both as a business influencer and an executive coach. Tim's philosophy of magnanimity and service align perfectly with his consistently generous spirit. It was a pleasure to interview Tim, and I hope you will check out the podcast show notes for more details about how you can connect with him. Thank you for listening and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. This podcast would not be possible without the expertise of our culture and leadership connections production team. A big thank you and shout out to Mike Kurlander for audio production and editing. To Malvika Kathpal for the show notes. Bernadette Guadiz for online web and social media management and promotions. Celine Bayogo for design and Kirsten Hoyer for website and branding. Thank you so much. Are you a big Culture and Leadership Connections podcast fan? Our Patreon platform is the most versatile way to hear podcast episodes, cross-cutting theme discussions, and watch VIP podcast guest videos. You can download the app to your phone and listen wherever you are. Check out the subscription levels for perks that appeal to you. Feel good about helping us cover podcast production costs while enhancing your listening experience at the same time. Go to patreon.com slash culture and leadership connections. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash culture and leadership connections.